murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, on this True Law Stories, we're going to talk criminal defense again and criminal prosecution. We're going to talk about how Penn, how Ken, our guest today, learned how to fight from his mother and became an attorney. Uh, Ken also won 34 out of 35 murder trials. We're going to talk about his keys to winning those, how he brought cartoons in court and led to the first animation, computer animation in a case. And the unfortunate case where he had to prosecute a man for a hit and run that left a little girl dead in a puddle and how he won that case. Uh, Virtual reality being denied in a courtroom, his glue stick method to closing arguments, Uh, the Lionel Tate case, which was the youngest prosecution of a minor up to the time, using a semi-truck in a case, uh, and then how he became known as the Dick Defender. All this on True Law Stories, we've got Ken uh, Padowitz. Ken, say hi. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course, this is brought to you by videocasestory.com. One of the best ways to entertain your prospects and your audience to get more clients, to get more business, is through video case stories, not testimonials. Go to videocasestory.com, learn how we can help you collect, craft, and deliver them. All right, let's get started. But Ken, you know, before we get into your stories, let's talk about your story. How did you get into criminal defense in Florida? I grew up in, uh, in a family with two other boys. I was the oldest. And uh, I used to argue and fight with my younger brothers all the time. And my, my mother came to us and said, all you do is fight. What are you going to do when you grow up? And now I get paid for fighting. So uh, thank you, Mom. I appreciate the, all the, the great fighting learning potential. Listen, I, I was never going to end up going to Harvard or Yale. Um, I went to uh, Nova Southeastern Law School. And um, I didn't really know why I was in law school. I knew I was supposed to be there. But I figured it out pretty quickly when I tried my first mock trial competition. And I literally, that was one of the first times in my life I had an epiphany where I was like, holy smokes, this is what I want to do and I'm going to get paid for it. So uh, that's how I became a, a trial dog. And uh, I, I got into trial competitions. We ended up beating every law school in the state of Florida, except for my undergrad, the University of, of Florida my alma mater, we, we lost that trial. Here's a quick story on that. Um, my law partner was a, a young woman uh, who had really long hair, um, really long nails, and really big earrings. And when we finished our, our competition against the other team, the all-male lawyer jury in Gainesville, Florida, uh, told us basically that we lost the final round against the University of Florida. And they critiqued my partner whose name was Leslie Rothenberg, they critiqued here and, and they said, your, your earrings are, are too big, your nails are too long, and your hair is too long. You really need to be cognizant of how you look in court. Very sexist critique. And of course, my trial partner went on to um, not only become an assistant state attorney, not only to become a circuit court judge in Miami-Dade County, she ended up becoming uh, an appellate judge in the Third District Court of Appeals. And guess what? Leslie Rothenberg, when she was on the appellate court, had really long nails, really long hair, and really big earrings. So yeah, I I ended up joining the state attorney's office after doing 27 jury trials as an intern um, and a a Supreme Court certified legal intern with uh, the state of Florida. And so before I graduated law school, 
I already had 27 jury trials under my belt. And so I knew this is what I wanted to do, join the state attorney's office and ended up staying there for 16 years, um, 11 or 12 of those years as a homicide prosecutor at the top of a 200 member uh, prosecuting team. I was one of seven prosecutors doing first degree murder cases. And I did 35 first degree murder trials and lost one in my tenure as an assistant state attorney as a homicide prosecutor. Wow, lost one. What do you count to that success? Well, I, I think one of the main reasons I'm as successful as I am is I really prepare. So when I walk into court, I don't want anyone in that courtroom, anyone, to be more prepared than me. So when I was a prosecutor, I was more prepared than anyone walking into that courtroom. And I do the same thing as a defense attorney. I'm now, I practice criminal defense. Um, I'm going on, I think, 37 or 38 years now as a member of the Florida Bar. And I always want to be the most prepared person in that courtroom. So that, that I would say, is uh, one of the biggest reasons for my success is I'm super prepared. I know every inch of that case backwards and forwards. And when I'm cross-examining a witness, I'm prepared to reach in their chest, pull out their heart and have a, the, the heart beat in my hands and the blood drip on the floor in front of that jury. Fantastic. Has that ever really happened? I've never received a heart in my hand, but I think uh, a few of the witnesses I've dealt with will tell you that's what it felt like. It's so interesting. You said like the level of preparation because I'm talking to the best attorneys, especially the best trial attorneys, how much they prepare. And, you know, before we get even further, if for some reason you do need a criminal defense attorney, Ken's not sponsoring this, but I'll let you know. You can go to LauderdaleCriminalDefense.com. All about those jury trials, all about those wins. So we'll put that in the show notes. But Ken, so in preparing for how has, well, let's even tell your story first. You had one of the first computer simulations in a case. Tell me about the idea of using that, how it worked, and how you prepared for that. Well, one of the, one of the criticisms that a lot of people have about lawyers is that they're, they're pompous and arrogant, and they think they know everything about everything. And some of that criticism may be true. Um, lawyers don't know everything about everything. If we're really good, we know a lot about a little, about what we do. We know a lot about. And so... Um, I came into being a trial lawyer. My younger brother, who uh, uh, is a writer, um, said to me, you know, lawyers are not creative. Uh, they're very, uh, they know the law. They, they, it's very black and white. They're, they're just very uncreative people. So I set out to prove him wrong and say that uh, you got to think outside the box. You got to be creative. You got to be super creative. And so everything I do and every time I do a trial, I get more and more creative. So what did I love when I was a kid? I loved watching cartoons. There was nothing better than Saturday morning cartoons. And there's nothing worse than being a juror. You're there on a subpoena. You're forced to sit in a cold, sterile courtroom in, in air conditioning for hours and day in, day out. I mean, talk about being bored. The average attention span for a human being is just a few minutes, and then you're thinking about what's for lunch. And then you might focus again on what's going on in court. And then you're thinking about who's sitting next to you, et cetera. So I try to do everything I can to mix entertainment, which is not a bad word. To entertain the jury is one of the highest forms of communication that you could have. And so I try to do every way that I can get information to that jury. And so why not cartoons in court? So that's the answer to the question. So I set out to figure out a way that I was going to get cartoons into court and I had to do it as an, a little assistant state attorney 
with a very conservative state attorney that I work for. And how was I going to get computer animation, which hadn't even been accepted into a courtroom in the state of Florida in a criminal civil case, how was I going to get that in? And that was what the task was in front of me, and I figured out a way to do it. And so what did you use? Tell me about what you used the animation for and how you prepared that animation to make sure it was entertaining. So when I, and again, when I say entertainment, I, I mean that with the utmost respect for the kind of cases that I worked on. So whether a prosecutor or as a, or as a defense attorney, you're dealing with people's lives. And sometimes you're dealing with the end of someone's life. So this is very serious. And by no means am I, am I putting uh, light on something as serious a topic. But when you're talking about communicating with a jury, that's what we're talking about. And so what I did was I took a case as the prosecutor where I charged an individual with... Um, with leaving the scene of an accident with a death, vehicular homicide, um, and it, the, this truck allegedly ran off a road, and, and did, not allegedly, ran off a road into a puddle where there were five kids and struck three of these children, killing a little six-year-old girl named Nicole Ray Walker. And so this man, it turns out, had just been released from Florida State Prison the day before and had gone down a wrong way street and had turned around and came back down the street and went into this puddle and struck these children and then left this little girl to die in the puddle. And so my mission, I wasn't going to be able to bring this girl back, but my mission was to get justice for this little girl. And so I was on a mission. You know, when, back at the, in my time during this case, uh, you had the Blues Brothers and, and they had movie posters. We're on a mission from God. And that's how I felt. That This was my, my mission. I was going to get justice for little Nicole Ray Walker. And that's what I did. I went and figured out how to do, how to hire a company, how to get them to, to quote me a price that I thought was going to be reasonable that I could sell to the state attorney, and then took a chance. I took a big chance. I ordered the computer animation, which was supposed to cost $20,000 back in 1991. We ended up getting it down to 6000 and I had them do it before I even got permission in my office to go ahead and do it. And then after it was already in the process of being done, I sprung it on uh, my my head state attorney that this is what we needed to do. So we put together, based upon the expert opinion of the accident reconstruction expert, which I used Detective Babcock, who was the Broward Sheriff's Office detective. He came up with an opinion about how that collision occurred using science and reconstruction techniques. And then we visualized his opinion in the form of a computer animation. And Jack Sahaki from Eyewitness Animations in Pompano Beach um, agreed with me. He said, no, Jack said to me, why am I doing a $20,000 animation for $6,000? And I said, because I'm going to give you $5 million with a free advertising. And lo and behold, we were featured on Good Morning America. And um, they, they, they actually uh, taped a segment on our animation. And there's literally right now, it, to this day, they show it every three or four months on Forensic Files, the television show. Um, they show the computer animation case of Nicole Ray Walker and Kenneth Pierce, the defendant. Um, he was convicted at a jury trial. They led in the animation. It became the first case in the state of Florida in a criminal or civil uh, case to have computer animation. And one of the first in the United States with a written appellate opinion upholding the use of computer animation. So I'm very, very proud of my cartoon in court. And since that time, I've probably done uh, six, seven, eight computer animations in court. Tell me about the way the jury reacted when they saw it. Well, they reacted exactly as I was hoping to react, that you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom because every second of that animation was watched 
by that jury. They were glued to that television. And that's how we, we presented it back then in 1992 during this trial. It was on a big screen TV that we rented. And we played that animation. And you could look at every juror's face. And you could see that they were looking at that animation and watching every second of that. And it was an amazing tool for a trial lawyer to be able to get the, the evidence and information that I wanted to convey to that jury in the form of a cartoon. And that's literally what we did. It was very powerful. Uh, the defense tried to, uh, a, a lawyer who's no longer with us named Bo Hitchcock, um, did his own animation, which was full of problems and, and stuff, and literally didn't put it in evidence, but I grabbed the tape during my closing argument. I had already put in a, the large garbage can that the, that the truck had hit before it hit the children that was driven by the defendant. And I flung the defense tape, which was not in evidence, across the room. And I'm not great at basketball, but boom, it went right into that large garbage can. And I did it so fast before the, the, the judge could do anything and anybody could hold me in contempt. So I got away with that. That's great. And so, you know, how has technology, I mean, technology is obviously since 91, 92 has advanced just a little bit. How has te- the need to understand technology and use technology to prepare, how has that changed over, let's say, even the past five years? Well, let me, let me jump ahead and tell you how it's changed up into the last year. Um, taking my, my basis for doing that animation back in 92, um, I had two cases. One, a Spirit Airlines pilot who was accused of attempted murder of shooting, shooting someone uh, four times from their Corvette. Um, I did a computer animation in his case. And then I went to do virtual reality goggles on his case. And I did another case where my client was, a, was charged with attempted murder using his vehicle to run, allegedly run down a neighbor. And we did a computer animation in that case. And then again, virtual reality goggles. In the case with the vehicle, we actually had a hearing in front of the judge. It was actually written about in the American Bar Association Journal. And it was picked up on numerous uh, news organizations. And we made an argument to the judge to allow me to use virtual reality goggles on the jury so that they could see in a three-dimensional way um, what happened in that case. The judge didn't allow it. He denied it. And I, don't, I really don't believe the judge understood uh, the original case law and animation because the judge didn't even allow the animation into evidence. But let me tell you this. Where my client was facing like life in prison, we ended up working that case out to probation. And in the case with the, with the Spirit Airlines pilot, the attempted murder, where I was going to use the virtual reality goggles, the state dropped the case, dropped it. My client walked. So effective? I mean, I didn't get to use it in front of a jury, so I'm disappointed about that. But I got both cases in an amazing place for my client. So I'm extremely happy about that. But I'm going to get there. I'm going to find a case, and I think I have one right now, where not only am I going to do a computer animation I'm going to look to also do virtual reality goggles on the jury if the court will allow it. And I, I don't see a legal reason why that should not be allowed in court. I mean, it makes complete sense because you want them to experience what happened at that moment as much as possible. I think the argument from the other side is that it's too powerful, that it's too persuasive. And that's just, you know, I think that's just an argument. You know, lots of times you hear lawyers, you hear them argue the evidence code. And some of them don't really fully understand it. And they'll argue, well, judge, that's prejudicial. Well, it better be prejudicial. If you're not having evidence that's prejudicial, then what are you doing putting it in an evidence? So, of course, the evidence prejudicial better be. It can't be unduly prejudicial. It can't be so prejudicial 
that the jury will be swayed by emotion or by other factors and won't be able to concentrate on what the actual evidence is. And, and that is, is a very, very high watermark. Um, animation is going to be prejudicial for, for one side or the other. Virtual reality is going to be prejudicial. And that's okay, because evidence is supposed to be prejudicial. It is. That's a great, great point. What other technologies are you using? So I use all different kinds of things. Um, I, I've used higher tech technologies, such I, I did a trial, this is probably 15, 20 years ago, um, where we were in federal court and the judge allowed us, uh, when you're impeaching the witness, you could have up on the screen, you mentioned the page and line number, and then you're, if you're with a co-counsel, they put it up on the screen, I think it was called trial director, and this is back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and you chose the one page of the deposition and it blocks out, it completely blacks out all the other parts of, the de of that page that the jury should not be looking at, only showing the question and the answer, which is exactly what you're doing on impeachment. And um, it worked wonderfully, but that's the only time I used that technology that time. Typically, I like to use lots of times low-tech technology. So for instance, um, I always tell everybody, I'm a great thief. I would watch lawyers in trial, from great lawyers to average lawyers to really, really crappy lawyers. And I would watch their trials because I would steal things that they would do that I thought were excellent. And then sometimes I would see a bad lawyer do something or an average lawyer do something that I do. And I was like, man, that's not effective at all. That's really bad. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to eliminate that from my repertoire. So I say I'm a great thief because I, I've stolen hundreds of different things that other lawyers do. One of the things I watched is that lawyer in the, in the first animation case, Bo Hitchcock, who is a really good trial lawyer, he used to have a yellow sticky, and he had, he'd have like 50 of them. And as, he, as he, he would write each one point that he wanted to make on his stickies, and then once he hit that point, he would crinkle up the yellow sticky and throw it on the carpet in front of the jury. And before you knew it, you know, he, there was like 50 of these yellow stickies all crumpled up because he hit every point in front of the jury. So I watched that and I said, that's a great idea. I'm going to improve upon it. And what did I do? As the poor assistant state attorney, what I did was I went to my word processor and I typed out in the largest font I could um, what I wanted the jury to see. And then I would use, I would print it out on a regular printer. I'd use a glue stick and I would, every time I made a point, I could number them one, two, three, each one. Every reasonable doubt as a defense attorney I could number. And then I would do a glue stick with these large printouts. And I, I, oh, before you knew it, instead of having little yellow pieces of paper on the ground, I had a jury throughout my closing argument seeing every one of these blow-ups that I did. Very low-tech technology, right? Didn't cost anything, but very, very effective. Very effective with a jury. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point... I say this all the time, you know, like it's the same thing as, I mean, you're essentially marketing to the jury and we do, I mean, we have marketing agency and do all marketing. Marketing needs to be entertaining. That doesn't mean it's not serious. It just needs to be engaging and exciting to the senses and not necessarily happy, exciting, but just exciting and engaging. And that's, that's a fantastic way to do it, isn't it? Right. And let me tell you another quick story. Um, if you want to talk about using technology. I had a case as a homicide prosecutor. It was a pretty infamous case called the Lionel Tate case. It was a state of Florida versus Lionel Tate. It was a 12-year-old boy who was the youngest person in America um, that a grand jury indicted for first-degree murder, and I was the prosecutor. 
Um, he was accused of killing a little, a little uh, six-year-old girl named Tiffany Eunuch. And what I did was when I read her ME report, her medical examiner report, it listed 35 separate injuries, serious injuries to this little girl. 35. I mean, imagine if you have a child who comes home from school with one black and blue mark on their face. You'd be like, what the heck happened here? This is 35 serious injuries. So how was I going to, as a prosecutor, really convey the seriousness of these injuries and the number of them to a jury? You know what I did? Just think it outside the box. I went on my computer and I, I took a photograph and I, and of her on the medical examiner's table and I put it on a, on a Word document and then I listed all around her body with a line to where on her body was the injury. And then once I completed this rough draft of what I envisioned in my head, I went to a graphics you know, specialist, trial graphics uh, places, they're all over the place, and I hired them and they made it professional. And we made this giant poster board the life size of the victim in this case. And there I was, this giant poster with all these injuries listed all around her body, extremely powerful evidence. So I could give you 50 more stories like this. I'm very, very tuned to how to communicate to juries, not using just words. You know, you want to bore a jury? Just let it put in a, a trial lawyer, a defense attorney or a prosecutor or any trial lawyer in a court and think that everything that comes out of their mouth is God's gift. And you know what? It's not. It's not. So we should stop feeding ourselves this line of BS. As a good trial lawyer, we should think of the best ways that we can constantly mix it up. I mean, we all know, we watch TV. Every three, four seconds, the camera angle changes, whether you're watching a movie or you're watching a television show. Our minds, we're being brought up since we were babies of having constant stimulus and constant changes. And you can't just stick a lawyer in front of a jury and have them talk for a half an hour, an hour, and think, they're going to absorb everything you're saying. It's just not going to happen. That's just not reality. So you got to think of ways that you're going to grab the jury's attention. i got another story I can tell you if you want to hear it. Sure. Let's go for it. This is true law stories. We'll, we'll go back to, we'll go back to, the, to the, uh, Nicole Ray Walker, the, the animation case from 92. I took that truck. What was that truck that hit her, that, that the, the driver who sped away, leaving her body in a puddle to die? What was that truck? That truck was the murder weapon. What did I do? I had the murder weapon brought down on a flatbed to the courthouse, to the Broward County Courthouse in downtown Fort Lauderdale, and I did a jury view. I had the jury come downstairs with the judge's permission and walk around that truck to see the actual murder weapon. Fast forward, I had a horrible DUI manslaughter case where uh, a drunk driver hit a minivan and killed five children and their mother the only surviving person was the driver, the father. What did I do in that case? I brought the vehicle that the children were in, and I brought the jury down in, in, in downstairs in the judicial parking garage, and I had them walk around, and sticking out of the twisted metal in that minivan was a child's shoe. Case closed. Verdict guilty as charged. I believe in powerful evidence. I believe in using demonstrative aids. I believe in using computer animations. I believe in using every possible tool that is available to a trial lawyer to convey to that jury, to take them out of that cold air-conditioned courtroom 
grab them by the cojones and pull them right to the scene of whatever I'm trying to, to explain and describe to that jury. So they're not just sitting in that cold air-conditioned courtroom. I got them there at the, at the crime scene. Well, I mean, this is super interesting, but I don't want to completely switch directions. But we got to know why you're called the dick defender. Well, I, I, wear, I wear that as a badge of, of honor. I had a case where uh, it, my client was accused of murder. Um, he was uh, in his uh, mid-60s, and his girlfriend was like a few years younger than him. Um, like 63, and she ended up dying. My client's story was that uh, they had relations, and it was dark in their in his apartment, and he went to the bathroom for 20 minutes and came out, and she was dead. And so he thought, well, the last thing that we did, we had oral sex, and he, he was a house painter. Nobody said he was a doctor um, or studied medicine, but he believed in his mind, well, that was the last thing we did. I must have killed her. I must have choked her. So he took a whole bunch of sleeping pills that were next to her bed and got into bed and expected in the morning that they would find two bodies. Well, he ended up getting sick in the middle of the night and throwing up, which probably saved his life. He woke up 24 hours later and his girlfriend was in the bed next to him deceased. And uh, th this was a horrible tragedy. Um, but he believed he was, he was uh, the person responsible. Called up uh, a former girlfriend who happened to be a friend of his and said, I, I'm, I, you know, you got to help me. I'm going to jail. Uh, I choked someone. I'm going to jail. So the statements to this person was that he choked someone. He's going to jail. Um, it turns out after I spoke to my client at length that um, he didn't choke her like you would think that statement meant. There was an explanation behind it. So I hired the former Broward County medical examiner, the chief medical examiner, Dr. Ron Wright, who was retired and living in North Carolina. And um, the prosecutor believed that uh, my defense was that during oral sex that the woman choked to death. And listen, I did file a motion to have the option of showing the jury my client's penis since, there, you know, in his mind, he believed that he choked her during oral sex. I hadn't decided if I was absolutely going to do that, but I did a motion uh, to do a jury view of my client's penis. And the judge took it under advisement, deferred ruling, didn't rule on it yet. And um, the prosecutor ended up believing that, that my whole defense was that during oral sex, the woman choked to death. But Dr. Wright testified, and had he been asked it in deposition, he would have gladly told him uh, that she didn't die from oral sex. That was possible, but highly unlikely, very remote, and that she most likely died of a heart attack and it wouldn't be shown in the autopsy. And the prosecutor kept thinking that was our defense, that, that, she, that she died during oral sex, but it wasn't. And in closing argument, I told the jury, look, she didn't die that way. And then I walked behind my client and I said, he believed that's how she died. And that's what explains his statements that he choked her and that he was going to prison, going to jail. And uh, the jury had a reasonable doubt, as I think they should have, and they found my client not guilty. So to this day... Uh, I have friends of mine who call me the dick defender. And even once in a while, it did for a few years after that trial, um, people would stop me, usually women, in the hallway and say, um, I, you know, listen, can you, I don't want you to divulge anything to me, but can you tell me how big he was? And I, I usually say, uh, well, uh, if I told you I'd have to kill you, that's attorney-client privilege information, and I cannot divulge that. But um, 
I, I can joke about that because if you couldn't joke, if you didn't joke about things like this, sometimes you would uh, probably be a very depressed person. So I joke about it, but keeping in mind also that it was a horrible tragedy that somebody did die, and uh, I feel very badly for their family and for them. And and I don't I don't miss that. In fact, this is a human uh, drama with with a lot of emotion and, and and a horrible tragedy for some people, and and I recognize that, but. That is the story behind me being the dick defender. I mean, yeah, it's it, especially like, you know, a woman died of natural causes and he felt like he killed her. And that's a horrible, horrible story with a funny side note, which, which you, I mean, you got to admit that is a, a bit funny. But, you know, it, it feels like it's probably was the best in the end, best outcome in the end. Well, I mean, these all these stories are amazing. So, Ken, tell me about uh, how would someone get in touch with you? What's the best way? Just go to the website. Yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to get in touch with me is go to my website, um, which is at uh, LauderdaleCriminalDefense.com. And uh, my phone number is right on there. Anybody can get a hold of me. I do federal cases all over the United States. Um, I used to lecture all over the United States, mostly in Florida, um, about uh, use of demonstrative aids. That was my big forte, computer animation and the use of demonstrative aids in court. Uh, but anybody can get a hold of me by, by definitely going to my website. Um, I love educating people on the law and how it actually applies in real life. And uh, I've been on national TV hundreds of times for that reason. It's a lot like being in trial. You have to think on your feet. And uh, that's why I enjoy doing it. Fantastic. Well, we'll put a link to your website in the show notes. Uh, and uh, we really thank you for being on True Law Stories. It's been a lot of fun. Right. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And I would love to uh, come back anytime you want me. Oh, definitely, definitely. We'll definitely have you on. Maybe we'll, we'll do a live version down in Fort Lauderdale one day soon. Uh, but <laughs> Ken, thank you so much. And thank you all for taking Ken and I on your journey to spend nine garlic and true law stories. True law stories has been brought to you by videocasestory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.